God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father. Son and Holy Ghost. Amen. I swore I knew the way on my own 
head full of rocks and heart made of stone. Spirit, you move in me. By your blood, I have redemption and salvation. Lord, you Amen. Well, good morning. While you're standing up, go ahead and move around a little bit. Try and say hello to somebody you haven't uh, met yet. I know we're uh, sort of shaking hands, sort of waving, sort of, we're in the middle ground of everything. So whatever you feel comfortable with, try and say hello to some people. Maybe meet somebody that you have not met before. (laughs) And take a few minutes and get to know those that you're worshiping around this morning. Once you've had a chance to say hello to some of your neighbors, co-worshippers, people next to you, you can grab a seat. We'll share a few announcements together and then we will dive into worship as people are trickling in on this last Sunday in April. Well, welcome to the Vine Community Church. We are glad you're here. My name is Treb Prater. We are honored to have you with us. If you are here for the first time, we want to tell you what a privilege it is to have you uh, join us for worship this morning. We are still in the process of ironing out all of our COVID slash post-COVID protocols, and we're in this weird limbo uh, between sort of all in and kind of not all in, and so we're just asking you to do what you're comfortable with. Um, keep in mind the people around you, but do what you're comfortable with, and that means that if, you know, you feel like saying hello to your neighbors, then just make sure they're comfortable with that and, and whatnot, and we'll navigate these sort of awkward middle ground together, and then hopefully in the near future, everything will just sort of be good again. And uh, But we're in the process. We've opened up all of our kids' rooms. Everything is uh, moving quite uh, quickly along now as we head into the summer with all of our elementary-age kids and younger kids' rooms open. We are uh, are moving that direction. If you are here with us for the first time, though, we'd love to have record of that, at least know that you were here. We have a guest card and a prayer card here. If you would just fill that out, let us know that you're here. We'd love to tell you a little bit more about our church or just follow up with you or know that you were here. Likewise, if you or anyone has a prayer request or just something they want to share with the community on the back side of that, we take very seriously the opportunity to pray over all of those things. Or if you just want to tell us about why God is great or something that's going on in your life, we would love to hear about it. Brandon and I love to to take uh, time and really pour over those. So um, take that and fill that out. You can leave it under your chair. You can put it in our offering box back there in the back of the room. We don't pass a plate. We just simply ask if you want to support our life and community, you can do that there or online through our community called Realm. Realm is how we just sort of stay connected, how we share information, uh, announcements, signups, all kinds of things, life groups, communicate, all that kind of stuff goes on through Realm. If you're not on Realm, we'd love for you to be visit with me afterwards. I think we finally got the kiosk set back up, so you can uh, stop there at the guest information area, put your email address in, and we'll get you all signed up on Realm. 
Um, but we kind of have all of our normal stuff unfolding this week. We have a women's Bible study that meets up here on Monday nights at 6. And are you guys still meeting beforehand for prayer time? Anybody that wants to? 5.30, anybody that feels like just being a part of that wants to come up and pray. Uh, Kathy is up here at 5.30 and we have a prayer time and then they have a women's Bible study directly following that. We have live groups to meet throughout the week. We have groups that meet up here at the church. We have groups that meet in homes. All that stuff is available on our website. You can check it out and see where you might plug in. We do have uh, our Vine Kids training today uh, directly following worship. So if you're working with our kids at all or you'd like to work with our kids, you have to go through this training. It's mandatory. Um, and so all of our uh, teachers and leaders will be equipped. Lunch is provided. Child care is provided. So stick around after church. If you haven't signed up, that's okay. Logan told me she's got enough stuff and got enough food. So if you're interested, just stick around. We will be done, completely done by 2 but this way we can get everybody fully trained and um, ready to serve our kids. Like I've been telling you for the past weeks now, one of the great challenges coming out of this COVID season for us is that as people are slowly, slowly feeling more comfortable coming back to church, we are really struggling in the areas of volunteers, right? It used to be an area that we were just pouring over. We had tons of folks on our cleaning teams, on our hospitality teams, on our kids' teams, all those kind of things. People are, are, are kind of reticent to get back involved, and so we're going to end up tapping on the same people. So if you're even thinking about, hey, we're, our family's coming back, we're feeling comfortable, we would love for you to think about ways you can serve. One Sunday a month where you hold some doors and make some coffee or help with our kids or hold babies or teach elementary-age kids, we've got all these kind of opportunities. And so as we step back into sort of the fullness of what we do as a church, um, we need some help. We are looking at some fun stuff going on in May. We're going to be having a, a big potluck and a family movie night. And so we're getting back into the rhythm of doing the things that we love. And so we are, are excited. We look forward to this coming year with really great anticipation. So it's an exciting time. Well, we're into week six of our study of the book of Hebrews. For those of you that have been with us over these past six weeks or so, we started this journey. It's a verse-by-verse -verse exploration of the book of Hebrews in which we are talking about the sufficiency and the supremacy of Christ. And this morning, as we open up chapter 3, we're going to understand a little bit more about where our author is leading us in terms of this supremacy of Christ. We've been down the road where he's taught us that Jesus is bigger and better than the angels. He's bigger and better than the law. And we're going to see this morning that Jesus is bigger and better than even Moses. Perhaps the, the most important figure, um, maybe Abraham aside, of all of Jewish history, we're going to see that Jesus himself is more important and supreme, even to Moses. And in that process, we're going to learn about where we can put our confidence and where we can put our hope as the followers of Christ. So as we prepare our hearts to go before the Lord and open his word and worship together, let's take a few moments and let's just pray. And then we will dive back into worship together this morning. But let's pray. Lord, I do thank you for the opportunity to gather in this place again. Lord, it has been a long time coming. Uh, I know we've been back for a while now, but it just still feels like we're easing back into things. Extremely grateful for the opportunity to worship together. Lord, it was a long, dry season where the church was at a place where we weren't able to corporately gather and celebrate together. And there's something incredibly unique and incredibly important about the corporate gathering of church, the gathering of worship and, and studying the word together. And you built us as a community, Lord. In fact, your entire movement through redemptive history is about community. It's about gathering the people of God to celebrate who God is. And so this morning, we don't take that for granted. We love the fact that we can gather here and worship. Lord, we pray for the communities in our city, up and down the street, across our state, country, and across the world that are gathering or trying to gather. Lord, we pray for 
the Holy Spirit to empower those worshipers, Lord, that we might all be united as the people of God, trusting and believing in Jesus. Lord, that we might represent your grace and love to the watching world. Take a moment in your own heart, just before we get started this morning, before we dive into the word, before we step back into worship, and just ask the Lord to prepare your heart to worship him. Whatever you might need to let go of or turn loose of or whatever you, anxieties or fears or whatever has to happen at noon or just whatever it is, just ask the Lord for the next moments just to give you an unhindered heart. Ask the Lord to prepare you to worship him this morning. Lord, we don't invite you into this place. You are already here. Uh, Lord, there is nowhere that we go where you are not. There is nowhere that we can go where your presence is not already there. And so, Lord, we don't invite you. We just release our hearts to you. We ask you to invade our lives and our souls, to fill us with your spirit, Lord, and to be exalted in our worship this morning as we sing to you, the one and only true God and King. Lord, we ask that you would be glorified and exalted this morning. In Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and continue in worship this morning. to him. 
earth upon the waters, the earth upon the waters, we say, your mercy endures forever and ever, your mercy endures, oh, your mercy Jesus, Jesus, who walks 
this is who he is. Messiah, my Savior, there is power in your name. Cause you're my rock and my redeemer. There is power in your name, in your name. Cause you walk on the waters and you speak to the sea. You stand in the fire beside me. You roar like a lion, you bled as the lamb, you carried my healing in your hands. God, you walk on the waters, you speak to the sea, you stand in the fire beside me. You roar As we continue to worship this morning, as we sing this next song as a family, I'd like for us uh, before that to actually read something as a family from God's word. And I've separated it into two little parts. The first part we'll read once. The second part we will, we will read three times. So let's read it as a family. Um, let's get it into our hearts um, as we continue to worship the Lord this morning. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. One more time, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. You alone save me, brokenness is all I breathe, you resurrect and you redeem, you alone save me. Rock of ages cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed be of sin a double cure. Save from wrath and make me. Demands, could my zeal no rest? 
have elementary age kids, we would love for them to be a part of our Vine Kids Time. And go right out this side door here and be a part of all that we have going on. Well, welcome to Vine Community Church. We're glad you're here. It is our privilege to have you in worship with us. Um, if you are here for the first time again, I want to tell you what an honor and joy it is to have you in worship this morning. We are, are very glad that you are here. I will address quickly the elephant in the room, um, which is I did get a haircut. Um, I know. All the guys are booing. They're like, because my wife, the old ball and chain, was like, it's it. We got a wedding last night. She's like, I'm not going with you until you get a haircut. So they cut off seven inches, which was a, it was more of a bob that I had than anything else. But And everyone's been asking, what would you do with it? Uh, did you donate it? I was like, no one wants my dirty hair. So I turned it into a throw pillow, and I'm giving it to Meredith for Mother's Day. 
That way she can squeeze it all the time. No, uh, she had had enough. And uh, so had I. It had been a year and a half, so it was uh, probably about time. So my COVID hair has been released. So that's, that's got that going on. But we are here, uh, and we are glad that you are here with us this morning. It really is exciting just to be back together. The, the energy of just worshiping as a community is just contagious. And I, I've been talking about this a while now since we started really coming back. And I just didn't know how much my heart missed and longed for uh, the idea of corporate community, and it's, it's incredible that this is how God made the church, right? He, he made us to be together. We were created to do this in community. And as our culture, not just with COVID, but just in general, continues to drift towards isolation. You can do everything on your own, everything online. The church's draw is that it's a deep belief that you can't do it alone. That we were created to do this together. And not only that, but we were created to be in each other's lives, to know and be known. And so we exist for that purpose. So as you feel comfortable, we really encourage you just to make that habit again, to get back into can kind of community worship. Even if it's not on Sunday mornings, get back into life group. Find places to plug your heart in in terms of community. It, the value there is, um, well, it's... It's incredible, and it's, it's incredibly undervalued, um, and we need to, to make sure that we remember how valuable it is to, to God and his economy of things. So a few weeks ago, six weeks ago uh, exactly, we started a new journey, and that journey is a walk the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is an incredibly theologically deep and important book. Um, it's almost like a voice in the wilderness. We've got voices that compete in our heads all the time, right? We have triumphs, and we have joys, and we have laughter, and then we have worries, and we have anxieties, and we have struggles. And oftentimes in our life, those worries and those anxieties and those struggles, they shout down those other things. And we tend to be overwhelmed with those things. They lead, they lead at times to despair or discouragement or even depression. And, and Hebrews is a voice in that wilderness that reminds us and calls us out of that place into the reality of a couple of things. One, the supremacy of Christ. Hebrews is a reminder that Jesus is bigger and better than all things. No matter what the world has to offer, no matter what it says, no matter what its promises are, no matter what its financial lure is, no matter what your family or culture says, Jesus is bigger and better than all things. That's the supremacy of Christ. But then we're also reminded of the sufficiency of Christ, meaning that Jesus is in all things and in him all things hold together, which means that because of Christ, we have all that we Need. He is enough. Jesus is enough. And in a, in a world, not just that the Hebrew Christians were facing, but that we're facing, it's telling us that it's Jesus and something else, or not quite enough, or it's my effort, my performance, my driven, my giving, whatever it is, it's Jesus and something. Hebrews is that voice that says, no, it's actually just Jesus. He is and always will be enough for you. And so the sufficiency and the supremacy of Christ seem to be the thematic movement of this book. And you've got to understand what our author is doing and why he's doing it to really grasp kind of what's unfolding here. Because to be a Hebrew Christian in those days in the early church was incredibly difficult, right? It wasn't like maybe it is today where you face a little bit of pressure. Remember, these are first century Christians. They are breaking away from their family. They have walked away from the Jewish faith on some level because the majority of their fa family do not believe that Jesus is the Messiah. They believe that Jesus was either a heretic or a lunatic. They, most of them don't even believe that he was a prophet. They believed, and it's because he proclaimed to be God, that he was a heretic. 
And to follow this heretic was not only punishable by death, it meant being cast out or ostracized by your entire family. And so these Hebrew Christians, to which the book of Hebrews was written, or actually spoken, it's more of a sermon, has an incredibly important voice to these believers because they were facing an unbelievable amount of pressure. I mean, imagine having everyone in your life that you cared about that was a valuable asset to you, that was a family member, that was a friend, that was in your community, that lived on your block or in your neighborhood or went to your school, telling you not only that you were wrong, but you have broken the heart of your family because of what you believe. And they were facing pressure from those people to do one of two things. One, to Judaize the gospel. That's the idea that it's not just enough that Jesus was our Savior and we put our hope and trust in him, we're saved, but we have to fully keep the law of the prophets as well. And that, that's what a lot of the New Testament books that Paul wrote, or letters that he wrote, are actually combating this idea of the Judaizers, of Judaizing the gospel, Galatians and those. Paul is saying, listen, it is not Jesus plus something else. You do not have to love Jesus and accept him as your Lord and Savior and keep the law perfectly. That's a lie. And the Jewish people were trying to get the Christians to at least do that so that they could keep the law at this place of authority when Jesus came to fulfill the law. So they're facing pressure to either do that or really what they were facing pressure was to completely turn away. To basically cast this kind of blasphemy idea of Jesus as Messiah, as Savior, as God and return to Judaism where not only was the law superior, but the law that was given by angels was superior. The laws we'll see that was given to Moses is superior. And there was an incredible pressure to return to the way the things were. And if you're a first century Hebrew Christian, everybody around you, all of your family, all of your community, everybody that you saw during the day, went to the market with and all those things, they're pressuring you to walk away from this, what they believe to be a lie. And it was incredibly hard. Most of us will never know that kind of pressure. The closest thing I've ever seen to it is when we've been a few times to China and we've spent time with the underground church and visiting with those young believers there and realizing that when they surrendered their life to Christ, not only did they give up everything, but they're risking their very lives. Their families would kick them out. Jobs wouldn't be available. They're risking imprisonment and in some cases even death. And that is true. Closest thing I've ever seen to what's facing these Hebrew Christians. But this is what they're up against. And in those voices, they're hearing this. The law is better. Angels are better because they're created by God, right? And now we're going to see today that even Moses is better than this Jesus. That's the voices that are coming at these believers. And our author, our preacher, is going to show us today why those things, again, are incorrect and why Jesus is enough. So if you've got your Bible, I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 3. If not, I think we started putting them back out again. I'm pretty sure now that we believe that Bibles cannot give you COVID. Um, so we put them back out at the risk of whatever. So uh, pick up that Bible at your own risk. Um, if you don't have one, you can keep it, uh, take it with you. Um, we'd love for you to have it and bring it each week. But we'll be in it every single week, so if you have one at home, bring it. But let's take a moment, let's pray together, and then we're going to dive into these first six verses of Hebrews chapter 3 this morning and explore the idea that Jesus himself deserves and demands our worship because he is greater than even Moses. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to gather here today. I thank you for the faces that are represented, the heartbeats, the names. Lord, I thank you for the families that are represented. I thank you for those that are here for the first time and those that have been here for the past years. I thank you, Lord, that you have drawn this community together, that you have kept it strong. Lord, that you have empowered us to gather together even during these difficult times. 
Lord, I pray that we would continue to remember our calling, which is not simply to gather here and maintain ourselves as a church, but to exist out there as a sent people. In our streets and neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our worlds, Lord, to be a voice of rescue and redemption that is Christ Jesus. That we exist as a sent people. Just as Jesus was sent, Lord, we exist as a sent people. And I pray that you would press that on our hearts. Take a moment in your own heart this morning and just ask the Lord to teach you this morning. Whatever he needs to press on your heart, whatever he wants you to hear, just ask the Lord to teach your heart. Take a moment as we do each week and pray for the person around you. Uh, Maybe you know their name, maybe you don't. Maybe you're here for the first time and you think this is a little weird. But we like to be in the habit of praying for other people. We want to. Everything that unfolds here on Sunday morning is not about you or your entertainment or even the desire for you to come back. We want you to be a person that loves people and wants to see God move in their life. So just pray for them. Even if you don't know their name, just pray that God would move in them. That if they're hurting, he would meet them in their pain. Uh, And if they're struggling, he would meet them with answers, that if they need to hear a word this morning, that he would meet them with that word. But pray for the people around you this morning. Lord, we turn our time over to you. We release it to you. We ask you to teach us. We believe that an encounter with your word is an encounter with you. We do not take it lightly. Your word is the breath of God. It is the theopanestos. It is your very breath breathed out. And so we take it seriously, Lord. We know that it has all authority in matters of faith, life, and practice. And so we surrender to it, Lord, because it is yours. Teach our hearts. We ask this in the risen name of Jesus, our Savior, and our Redeemer. Amen. So what we've seen over the first two chapters is, is really simply this. Chapter 1, our author tries to get us to understand who Jesus is. And he goes through this list of things, that he is, uh, he is the creator of all things. He is heir of all things. He is the exact representation of the being and the glory of God. And he works this list saying, this is who Jesus is. And then he gets to this place where he says, and Jesus is greater than all created things because Jesus himself was not created. Jesus is the Son of God. He is, in fact, God himself, and therefore Jesus is higher and better than the angels. And he's making a point to those early believers to say, even what we believe to be these heavenly creatures, Jesus is better because he is the Son of God, and he is God himself. He goes on in that chapter to begin the process of explaining why Jesus is better than the law. Because the Jewish people in those days believed that the law was a supreme authority, right? That was what we tried to attain to, but the law was powerless to save. And so our author goes through to explain why Jesus is greater than the law because Jesus actually saves and does what the law could not do. And he reminds us that if we don't pay attention to the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ, we are at danger of drifting away, drifting away from this incredibly important relationship in which we are saved by the grace of Christ and we put our faith and hope in him. So this is where our author has, or even our preacher has cast us into. And to continue that train of thought to show us this morning, not only do we have a calling together, but that that calling again leads us to a place where we're going to see the all-out supremacy of Christ, even over and above probably the greatest or one of the greatest prophets and humans in all of Jewish history, Moses 
himself. And so this is where we're picking up today in chapter 3, and we're going to look at those first six verses together. Therefore, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. He was faithful to the one who appointed him. Just as Moses was faithful in all of God's house, Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone. But God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant of all of God's house, testifying to what would be said of the future. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house. And we are his house if we hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast. So our author starts off this chapter to say, look, I'm going to take this one step further, right? We've talked about Jesus and who he is and that he is the embodiment of God himself, that he is greater and bigger than the angels. He is greater and bigger than even the law, that all of our hope rests in him. And when we forget these things, we begin to drift. But you're going to hear voices in your head saying, or from around you saying, return to the old ways. Moses, right, he is our forefather. We should put our hope in him. He's the greatest of all humanity. And what our author is reminding us is that in Christ, we have been given this incredible calling, and we're called to fix our thoughts upon Jesus because he is something spectacular. And that first line in verse 3 says, Therefore, holy or set apart brothers who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus. So it says, listen, and you got to remember where we were last week as we talked about this, this saving grace that we experience in Christ. He says, therefore, holy brothers. And the word holy there, remember, we've talked about this idea of holiness in the New Testament a lot. It's actually a takeaway from Leviticus, from a, an idea that kind of builds off this word kadosh, which means to be set apart on any level. The idea simply is that we are holy ones, not because of our moral perfection, but because we have been rescued and saved and set apart by Christ himself. So he says, therefore set apart brothers. Those of you that have been rescued and saved and set apart, you share in this heavenly calling. Now we talked two weeks ago about the idea that we surrender our lives to Christ. Not only are we saved, but we are literally called co-heirs to the kingdom of God. That we share in this incredible calling because Christ's glory becomes ours and we surrender our life to him. And he says, listen, brothers, even though you're facing these things, I want you to remember this, that you share in this heavenly calling because you have been saved. So fix your thoughts on Jesus. Now, in a, in a sea of voices, right, in a sea of, of, of people that are trying to tell you that what you're doing is wrong, the direction you're headed is false, that you've put your hope in a liar and a blasphemer, that you need to return to the family, those thoughts that would flood your mind saying, yeah, wouldn't it be nice to just go back and not be cast out? Wouldn't it be nice? Or maybe they're right. And those thoughts are flooding your mind. Our author says this, you are set apart. Remember, you have a holy calling. So take all of your thoughts and adhere them or fix them on Jesus. Now, this idea of fixing on Jesus is not new. We're actually told by Paul himself to fix our eyes, our gaze, our look upon Christ. But here our author tells us to fix our thoughts upon Jesus. Have you ever had something in your mind that you were so fixated on that it was all that you could think about? That you literally could not find yourself getting away from thinking about anything else. Sometimes that has to do with a worry. You can't shake it out of your mind like you stay up at night. 
I've had a moment like that in my life where something that was just so encompassing, it was all I could do to focus on. And a lot of you don't know this about me, but I have a bit of an unsavory past. Uh, I spent a little bit of time as a thief slash jewel smuggler. The year was 1980 in a little town in between Houston and Dallas called Huntsville, also the largest uh, maximum security prison city in the state of Texas where I lived for six years. It was Miss Knight's pre-kindergarten class. I remember it like it was yesterday. I was sitting there, and the girl next to me, who I can't remember her name, but I remember she smelled a little bit like sausage. I can remember that to this day. Which, of course, I felt like maybe we should be boyfriend-girlfriend because that's my favorite smell. Had this little red ruby. It was more probably something that fell off a bedazzled barrette or something, but it was a little red gem, this precious stone. And she had it between her fingers, and she was playing with it. And I wanted it. I loved it. It was gorgeous. And I thought to myself, I'm going to have to make that mine. And she played with it, and it was great. And she sat on her desk, and she spun it around. And literally all morning long, all I could do was think about, I wanted that. I needed that ruby. I had to have it. Not only was it amazing, but it was as radiant as the sun. And I wanted it as my own. And so I plotted in my head at six years old how I was going to make this ruby mine. I spent my day thinking about that in the morning. And as we prepared to go to our snack time, I knew that my desk mate was going to be leaving her desk, and that would be my chance. She would get up, she would go, I would make my move and the stealthiness that I had, and I would seize that precious gem. She gets up as planned, and she goes, and I slide my way over to her desk, and in one motion, I reach in, and I grab it, and I hold it in my palm, and I can feel it. And my heart is racing, right, because I have now just stolen this thing which I have longed for, which was destined to be mine in the first place. And all kind of during lunch and after the time I just played with it, I just rolled it around in my fingers. I was focused on it. It was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. It was a plastic red ruby. But it was mine. It was gorgeous. It was amazing. We come back after lunch and I can't let it go. And I can't let her see it because she would know course that I stole it, steal, borrowed it forever. And so I held on to it. But Miss Knight, this was not her first rodeo. And I had what they called back in those days a sitting still problem anyway. And I couldn't stop moving, fidgeting, playing with this thing. And so she says, Treb, wh- wh- why are you distracted? I'm not distracted. Yes, you are. Something has your attention. And I knew what it was had this ruby in my hand, this gem, this precious stone, and I loved it. And uh, she said, come up here. And I thought, no. I'm not coming up there because I know what that would mean. One, I would be exposed as a thief, or two, and possibly even worse, she would seize this thing, this piece of beauty. But I was six, and so I caved quickly. And I made my way to the front of the class, and Miss Knight looks in my hand, and she says, what is that? And uh, I held it out like this, and she says, go throw it away. And I thought, huh, there's no way on God's green earth I'm putting this in the trash. Treb, go throw it away. And I thought, again, six, I caved. I said, okay. Wrapped my hand around it, and I slowly made my way back towards the trash can, which is the back of the room. And in that journey, that walk, all I could think about was, how am I not going to throw this away? 
What is the incredible plan that I'm going to have to save this thing which I love? That's all I could think about. I slowly make my way back and I come up with this incredible idea. This idea that can only be forged by my mind and my mind alone. I get to the trash can and I fake a stumble, right? Huh? Like, goodness, who put this thing here? Fall down, and as I do in one failed swoop, I take the ruby and I slip it up my nose, right? Which is a great hiding place of all precious stones for any of you that have ever smuggled gems in your life. Whoop, clean up the old snooter. And in an instant, like magic, gone. I fake a trash dump, kick it a little bit, make a little bit of noise, right? Make my way back to my chair, ruby and nose, no one's the wiser, and I go about my day. And like any great and amazing gym smuggler, I promptly forget. Day turns into day. I don't think about this thing again. Somehow it's vanished from my thoughts. I wake up two days later. My mom loves to tell this part of the story. My eye is swollen shut. My nose is red, and it hurts to the touch, like literally. And I have no idea what's going on. She makes an appointment. We're going to go into the doctor. My dad says, maybe we go to the emergency room. My mom takes me over to the couch. We got the old late 70s red shag carpet. And some reason we have fluorescent lights in our living room. I guess that was a big deal. She lays me on the couch and she looks up and I can hear her yell to my dad, I think he's got a blood clot. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I don't know what that means, but it don't sound real good. So she takes forceps, which are tweezers to the layman. And she reaches up into my nose and is excruciatingly painful, right? Remember, my eye is swollen, it's red, I can't see anything. And she takes this pair of tweezers and in one motion, she pulls out this glistening ruby. Glistening a little differently than I remember, but it was nonetheless. And instantly my whole face just felt relief. My mom said, what is this? And I go, my ruby! And I wanted it back into my hand, fixated upon it. She tells that story. She loves it because that's the way my mind worked. I would get focused on something, and that's all I wanted until I didn't have it out of sight, out of mind, and then again it was gone. When I started thinking about this idea of what it means to fix your thoughts on something, it was, it was something I was reminded of, this, this idea that if we could get to a place where all of my thoughts were generated on this thing, Right? And our author says that thing should be Jesus. But for most of us, the, the kind of fixation of our thoughts is typically something much different. It's not a ruby. It's usually not even money. It's really more in the realm of worry, anxiety, fear. The things that we wonder that are going to happen, what if they do? The worst case scenarios of all things, they churn over in our minds over and over again. We fixate on them. We worry about them. They keep us awake at night. Sometimes those things are very real and sometimes they're just figments of our imagination, but they tend to be what we focus on. And our author here says, listen, I want you and I need you to focus all of your thoughts onto Jesus and I'm going to give you some really great reasons why. Because you share in this holy calling, right? Focus on Jesus, all of your thoughts. And he gives us three real reasons. Two he goes over very quickly and then he spends some time on the third one. But the first one he says is that I want you to fix your thoughts on Jesus because Jesus is the apostle. So if you look right there in verse 1, he says, fix, right, fix your thoughts upon Jesus, the apostle 
the apostle. Now, the idea of the apostle, <clears throat> as you're thinking about, well, isn't that the disciples or the name that were given to those that uh, have been sent by Jesus? And that is true. The idea of the apostle, the actual word just means, comes from the Greek word apostolos, which means the sent one or the one that was sent. Jesus actually, from a theological standpoint, is the original apostle. He was the one sent by God into the world with the good news. Jesus is the sent one. He is God in the flesh, sent to humanity with this incredible calling in which we share as followers of Christ. Jesus is the original apostle. Now, we use the term apostles for those others, Paul and Peter and all these, because they are sent either by God or by the church. They are apostles, but they are not the original. Jesus is the apostle. He is the sent one. And so he says, keep your thoughts focused on Jesus because he actually is the one that is sent by God, not the angels, not the law, not Moses, not the prophets, but Jesus himself is the one that was sent by God, and therefore he deserves our thoughts to be focused on him. And not only is he the apostle, he goes on to say he is the high priest. So we focus our thoughts on Jesus the apostle and Jesus the high priest. Now the role of the high priest was that who performed the atonement. He was the one that took the sacrifice before God for the people. We could not be atoned of our sins unless the high priest went before God in the Holy of Holies and made the sacrifice for the people. Brandon talked about this a little bit last week. We talk about the idea of the high priest. We're talking about the idea that Jesus himself becomes the mediator for atonement. We no longer need a person to go before us in God. God himself has done it in the person of Jesus Christ, and he becomes the only go-between we ever need. It's why we don't have to confess to a priest for forgiveness of sins. Because Jesus is the priest. He is the high priest. He is the go-between. We have access to holy, majestic, mighty God because Jesus was sent as the gospel and is the gospel. He proclaimed the good news, and he is the good news. This is the argument that our author is making for those that are facing this incredible pressure to return to an old way of thinking. Focus all your thoughts on Jesus, not because he's some kind of moral rabbi or great philosophical teacher, but focus your thoughts on Jesus because he was sent by God, and he has provided an atonement and a saving grace for you. In other words, you are because, who you are because of Jesus. And he deserves our thoughts. And yet here we are worried about what our family says, worried about what they're going to turn on us, or that we're doing something this way, or that the world's saying this. We're focused on all of those things, and they're the wrong things to be focused on. But that you were dead in your sin, and that Christ has made you alive. And that is where our fixation should be. Not on the anxieties and the worries and the what-ifs and what are people saying. But instead on the apostle, the sent one, and the high priest, the one who not only brought the proclamation of the gospel, but himself was the gospel. And he goes on to actually take this one step further, and he's going to make this a direct correlation to our Jewish audience. It's, it's going to go over us a little bit, but I want you to remember where they're coming from. So we have this incredibly shared high calling, right? Because we're called to fix, and because of that, we're called to fix our thoughts on Jesus, the sent one, the high priest, that's who we confess. All right? He goes on to say, he was faithful to the one who appointed him. Just as Moses was faithful in all of God's house, Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses. 
So our author makes this, this statement. He says that we should focus our thoughts on Jesus because Jesus has been made greater and has been given greater honor than Moses himself. Now that may not sound like much to you and I. But to this Jewish audience, it was incredibly important because there perhaps is no other more important figure in Jewish history than Moses, aside from maybe Abraham, if you want to make that argument. But Moses was the one that was sent by God to deliver the people from the hands of Pharaoh. He had this intimate, incredibly intimate relationship with God the Father. In fact, Moses is sent on to Mount Sinai where God himself and the presence of this cloud literally gives Moses the law. God has this relationship with Moses, which is incredibly intimate, and the Jewish people believed that Moses was the greatest of all the prophets. And so our author says, right, we focus our thoughts on Jesus, who was the sent one, who is the high priest, and who is greater than the greatest of humans, who is greater than the greatest of prophets, and has given more honor and more glory than even Moses himself. And he goes on to give two specific reasons why Jesus is greater and deserves more honor than even Moses. The first is this, that Jesus actually himself made or created Moses. Listen to this in verse 2 and 4. He was faithful to the one who appointed him. Just as Moses was faithful in all of God's house, Jesus had been found worthy a greater honor than Moses. Just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. Every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. So here's what he said. Moses is incredible. He's not putting Moses down. He's saying Moses is amazing. He's got an incredible role in the house of God. Moses' role was one of incredibly an important role. He was a vital part of God's house, but he did not build the house. God built the house. And what our author's talking about is the people of God being God's house. That we make up this vital and incredible group of people that are the house of God. And Moses has a role there and he is given great honor. But the house does not get more honor than the one that built it. The house is just a thing. But the creator, the builder, that's where the honor goes. And so what essentially our author is saying is, and this shouldn't be a surprise because in chapter 1 we learn that Jesus is creator of all things because Jesus himself is God. He says that Moses was actually built by Jesus. He was created. He was made. He's not the maker of all things. Christ is the maker of all things. And therefore he gets greater honor than Moses because he made Moses. Now this was a blasphemous comment to the Jewish people, to believe, because they're essentially saying Jesus is God. And that would get you killed. But that's the proclamation of Christianity. Not that Jesus was an angel, not that Jesus was a prophet, but that Jesus himself is God. And as I mentioned a few weeks ago, it's what separates Christianity from every other world religion. It's what separates Christianity from Judaism because we believe that Jesus is Messiah and is God. It's what separates Christianity from uh, Islam. They doesn't believe that Jesus is a prophet, but instead that God himself. It's what separates Jesus from the cults like the Jehovah's Witness. They believe that Jesus was just an angel. Christianity holds to the very truth that Jesus himself is creator God. And therefore Moses is a created being, made by God. So he says, we fix our thoughts on Jesus, who is the apostle, the sent one. 
Who is the high priest, the one who brought the atonement? Who gets greater honor than even Moses because he is creator and he made Moses? And then finally he goes on to say, the second reason he says is that Jesus is the son and Moses is simply a servant. Listen to verse 5. Moses was faithful as a servant of all of God's house, testifying to what would be said in the future. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house. So he says this. He says, Moses was a faithful servant. And he was a faithful servant in God's house. And he was God's mouthpiece. And he was a prophetic proclaimer. And he did everything that God asked him to do. And he was faithful in it as part of God's house. But Jesus is the son and he is over God's house. The difference between a servant and a son is this. A son gets the inheritance. Right? A son owns, rules, and provides. He is the inherited one. A servant gets none of those things. A servant simply serves the master, simply serves the owner of the house, does what they require, and does it faithfully. And that's who he says Moses was, a faithful and incredible servant that did exactly what the owner of the house did, and he was a faithful man of God. But Jesus, he said, is the son, and the son is over the house. The son is the maker of Moses. The son is the ruler of the house. The son is the authority of the house, the provider of the house with his own wealth. And he says, this is Jesus. Jesus is the son and Moses is a servant. Now for us, we get it. We're sitting here on Sunday going, yeah, that makes total sense. I put all my faith in Christ and I have a history and I have this incredible redemptive picture from start to finish of the Old Testament. But for those sitting there listening to this guy, talk to them about who Jesus truly was. This is groundbreaking and incredibly important because the voices around you were telling you, no, 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 no. Jesus isn't all that. He's not enough. You need Jesus and the prophets, Jesus and the law, Jesus and the angels. You need Jesus and all these things. And our author says, no, actually, you just need Jesus. And he's bigger than all things because not only was he sent, the original sent with the gospel message, the good news. But he was the high priest that not only did he bring, come bearing a message, but his body and his life was the message. He was the high priest. And he is greater than the greatest of all humans and all intimate prophets that God may have known because he made them and he rules over them. And if Jesus rules over Moses and rules over the house, then certainly he is those things. Now our author, finally going to wrap all this up, gives us this incredible gift at the end of chapter 6. And it is in, wrapped up in one little word. He says this in the, or, or verse 6. He says this. And we are his house if we hold to our courage and the hope in which we boast. This is the gift he gives us. He's not just talking to one select group of people. But the author gives us this promise that we are the house of God. He's directly addressing the church both there in the first century and us standing here some 2,000 later, years later, we are the house of God. We are the assembly, the gathering of Christ's followers. We are those people, and we are competing with the voices of the world that want to tell you that it's Jesus and something else. They want to tell you that Jesus may not be enough. You should rely on yourself, your own ability, your own skill set, whatever it is that you should return to an old way of living because maybe this isn't it. Those are the voices that penetrate us. 
the worries, the anxieties, the fears, the ones that tell us that maybe God isn't there, or maybe he can't hear you, or maybe he just doesn't care. Those voices are real, and they're as real as they were 2,000 years ago. And our author tells us that, but we are the church. We are the gathered assembly of which God sent his own son as an apostle and high priest, and we put our faith and trust in him, we are rescued and saved, and that he is greater than all. Why? Because he is the maker and the ruler and the provider for the house. And you know those things are true for you today? That Jesus made you? That he rules over you? And that he will provide for you? Those are the promises that God gives you. That we surrender our life to him, those things are true. And so our, our author ends by saying, those things are ours. We hold on to our courage and the hope in which we boast. And what's the hope we boast in? Jesus. We hold on to our courage because the world is frightening and it's hard. We don't know what's around every corner. So we're going to be courageous. And you want to know what was hard in those days was to be courageous in the face of the world. The family, the community, those that want to shout you down. Those that want to tell you it's a lie. And we are increasingly facing those voices of the church today. We are increasingly facing voices that say, you have to be this tolerant, this thing. You can't believe fully in the word of God. Surely those things aren't ours to grasp. And it takes courage to say, no, this is God's word. And he is who he said he was. He is the apostle and the high priest. And the hope in which we boast is not in our own ability to figure it out, to make it happen, but we boast in the hope that is Jesus Christ. So this morning, as we close our time in worship, what I want you to focus your heart on is this. What are my thoughts fixed on? The things that run through my head, are they fixed on me? Are they fixed on worry? Are they fixed on anxiety? Are they fixed on struggle? Are they fixed on fear? Or my thoughts adhered and fixed on Jesus, the, the true apostle, the sent one, the high priest, the one who is greater than all, the one who is the maker of me, made me, created me. As David would say, breathe life into my lungs. Who rules over me, who has the authority of my life, and who promises to provide and protect. Are those where my thoughts are? And if not, why? What's it going to take to shift my thoughts to get them off of being fixed on what the world has and says and fixated solely on Jesus, who is greater than all. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity just to gather and open your word this morning. In a challenging but very direct text in which we're reminded that Jesus is greater, greater than even Moses. He is the apostle. He is the high priest. He deserves honor as the builder and maker and ruler and provider of the house that is my life and that is the church. That is followers of Christ. This is who Jesus is. We are a part of the family of God just as Moses is. We all have integral parts in that family. But Lord, Jesus is not part of that family. He is the head. Jesus is the maker. He is the ruler. He is the provider. And he is the protector. And that truth is more real than the air that I breathe. And it carries over from this place into my life at home. And that I can put my confidence and my trust in that. My hope is there. 
And Lord, I confess that there have been many times in my life that I've put my confidence and hope in other things, where I've fixed my eyes to trash, to garbage, to shiny objects of the world. And Lord, I pray that what you would do this morning is help us exchange those things that we fixed our eyes to, those fears, those problems, those issues, those things, maybe even those material things like rubies. Shift our mindset to the things of glory, the things of God, the apostle, the high priest, the one who is greater than all, the builder, the maker, the provider, the ruler, the king. Let's close our time in worship and stand together and sing to the one who built and sustains all. In Jesus' name, amen.
Jesus, the only one who could ever save. You're the only one worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Oh, we live for you. Because you are holy. There is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. And you will build my life upon your love. It is a foundation I will put my trust in you alone and I will not be shaken cause you will build my life upon your love it is a Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand this morning. Just as a reminder and as an empowerment to walk out of this place, Lord, literally fix your thoughts upon Jesus, the one who was sent, the high priest, the one who not only brought the gospel, but is the gospel, the one who is greater than all, the one who we put our confidence and our hope. Go in peace.